Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today we're going to venture into the story of a particular woman who was somewhat of a legend in her own time, but forgotten in the annals of history. She was the first woman to practice medicine in Calhoun County. And she has quite a story and there's not a tremendous amount known about her other than a particular biography that was written on her that was published in 1904 by the Hobart and Mather Company out of Chicago. So we're going to go into her history in this episode. So come along and join me. Now, most people knew her late in life after she was married as Dr. Mary Clark. She was born Mary Grover in 1837 in Danville, New York. Now, her father and mother were Asheville and Laura Grover, and they moved to Eaton County in 1844 when Mary was just seven years old. And her father, like many of the pioneers of that era, built a log cabin out of the wilderness. They purchased land using the dollar and 25 cents an acre offering that was provided by the U.S. government for land in Michigan. And they established a homestead. And um, later he built a framed house using lumber from the local mill. Now, Mary's parents were not as successful as other pioneers. They struggled building that homestead and the winters were tough the times were tough. They didn't really see a great measure of success as perhaps other people during that pioneer period. Crops did not always come easy to everyone, and clearing the land was tough business. I mean, there was oftentimes situations where people purchased land, they would get there, and they would find it really wasn't suitable for farming because there were so many trees. So they spent most of the first several years clearing trees so that they could find space enough to grow crops. And there was this constant struggle for the early pioneers to clear land. Mary only lived with her parents in Eaton County for three years. And then because of their financial condition, they couldn't afford to feed her or care for her anymore. She was too little to really be productive on the farm. So they brought her to stay with a man in Battle Creek, and his name was Reuben Pugh. And during the time when, when um, Reuben Pugh was in Battle Creek, he had a general store. And it was during a time in Battle Creek where there was only one or two stores in the entire town. And Mr. Pugh somewhat became a foster father, and he treated Mary like his own child. He also ran a hotel as a business in Battle Creek. And she worked around the hotel, making herself as useful as possible, cleaning rooms, tending to guests, and doing her best to fit in to this new lifestyle. When she was just 14 years old, she married Reuben Pugh's business partner, Erastus Clark. Now, it may shock you that girls would get married at the age of 14, but that was pretty common during the pioneer period of Michigan. The age of consent 
during those you know wild pioneer days in some parts of the territory were just 12 years old. So the Victorian period was quite a different time than it is today, and the age of consent did not increase until much later. So she's 14 years old, and she gets married to Erastus Clark, who's in the hotel business in Battle Creek. And when she turned 16, she became possessed of a strong desire to practice medicine. She had come across some books on medicine and became fascinated with the whole subject in general. So she moved to Albion and began studying with Dr. Brown, a leading physician in Michigan at the time. And at different times, he was also the president of the State Medical Association. So over the next 12 years, she remained with Dr. Brown studying medicine. She discovered that she seemed to have a natural gift for the profession of medicine. She eventually began to run her own practice when she was just 23 years old during this time period. Now, after she started her practice, it was a tremendous success, and she would remain in Albion for another three years with Dr. Brown at the same time running this practice that she'd started. And she managed to build a very successful practice and stayed tremendously busy during those times. She was later called to Kalamazoo as word began to spread all over southwest Michigan of her skills. She was called to Kalamazoo to treat a successful banker. And she ended up staying there for a few years, building up a medical practice in Kalamazoo. And during her time there, she gained a reputation for success in the cure of chronic diseases. And that's where she began to devote most of her attention. One time, she was called to Burlington, Iowa, to treat a patient that was having trouble. They sent word for her all the way over into Michigan. And so she went to see this patient, which turned out to be the wife of a U.S. senator. His name was Grimes, and he was from Iowa. Now, this woman had been treated by several physicians in the area of Iowa where the Grimes lived, and there was no success. So when they heard about Mary Clark in Kalamazoo and the reputation for curing or helping people with chronic diseases, they sent word for her. And guess what happened? When Dr. Clark arrived in Iowa, she managed to cure this woman in about three and a half hours after examining her thoroughly and treating her with what she described as a magnetic massage. The woman's pain was gone, and of course this became big news in the community. So she used some sort of magnet or something um, in the form of treatment, and I don't fully understand what they were describing in this bio on her, but apparently it was substantial enough where the woman felt like she was cured. And so the word got out all over Iowa, and as a result, they wouldn't let her leave. They kept wanting to send her more patients. So she ended up staying in Iowa until she had treated about 400 patients. And then it finally got to the point where she said, look, I've got to go back to Michigan. She was exhausted. She was uh, seeing patients pretty much morning through night, day after day, and she essentially was overcome with exhaustion. So she remained in Iowa, but she was pretty ill herself and had to stay in bed for 16 weeks, but she managed to cure herself without the use of medicines. And she, at that point, decided that Iowa was much colder 
than Battle Creek was and made the decision that she was going to return to Michigan and get back to Battle Creek where her husband was and where she had plans originally to set up a practice before she was called to Kalamazoo and so forth. So she moved to Battle Creek again and this is where she would remain and it became the hub of her medical practice for the next several decades. She was the first female medical doctor in Battle Creek, but she never really paid much attention to that when it was brought out in public. Um, She was just passionate about treating patients, and people would often credit her with superior skills and ability, and they often enjoyed the benefits of her comprehensive knowledge of medicine, which they also said was supplemented by her magnetic personality. And in the biography that I'm referencing, they claimed that she had a God-given insight into the needs of suffering humanity. And so as a doctor in this era, she was very much facing the adversity of being in a profession which prior to that in this area was a predominantly male profession. There were no women doctors. So she had to overcome that social barrier in treating patients. And then when she did prove to her critics that she was a very knowledgeable and competent doctor and was getting results, then, of course, she had all sorts of demands for people to be treated by her, uh, especially other women. And she would be called into all kinds of opportunities over the years as they would marvel at her great courage, even in the face of adversity. You know, she would stand up against the critics and she would face this constantly. But at the same time, she was very devoted to expanding her knowledge of medicine and getting results with her patients. So she was a really good doctor. She was willing to go against these popular opinions and ignore them and just get on with the practice of treating patients. And when the critics would say, well, you know, she's not very trained and so forth, she would continue to advance in her training even more to demonstrate that she was serious about her profession and she was knowledgeable and skillful. And she would attend lectures in Chicago and Cleveland to broaden her knowledge and efforts. And throughout her life as a medical doctor, she never stopped learning. She would frequently take vacations to either Chicago or Cleveland and do advanced training or attend lectures to basically advance her skill. And she became known around the United States as this remarkable woman in the medical profession. And she inspired other women to join the profession in other parts of the country based on her reputation. And on several occasions, she found herself summoned to Washington, D.C. to treat United States senators A lot of that came from the senator that she had treated in Iowa, who had spread the word around Washington about the success with having his wife treated by Mary Clark. And so she would have fun times traveling to Washington, D.C., seeing patients. One patient of hers named George Ward lived in Chicago, and he had rented an office for her across from the famous Palmer House in Chicago. And actually, at one point, guaranteed her $6,000 and six months of expenses if she would just go there and set up a practice. But in the end, she really missed her dear friends in Battle Creek and declined the 
lucrative financial offer at that time. That was a considerable offer for the late 1800s to be extended to a medical doctor. And her husband, Erasus, stayed in the marriage with her over the years, even when she was on the road a considerable amount of the time, attending either lectures and medical training or seeing patients in Washington, D.C., and Chicago, and even when she made her extended trip to Iowa. He was the leading hotel proprietor in Battle Creek during all of those years when she was doing her studying and traveling for medicine. But his health began to suffer, and it was compounded by the stress of a business partner who failed to meet his indebtedness to him, and the loss of that financial part of his business essentially affected his mind. So Mary ended up returning to Battle Creek and spent the next 20 years caring for Erastus, but sadly he died in 1885. So she spent a lot of time just caring for her husband in her later years. Together, they had one child during those years together. They had a son. His name was Edwin Everett Clark. And she would end up practicing medicine in Battle Creek for 50-plus years and see thousands of patients during that time. And toward the end of the 1800s and entering the new century, she had gained a long public favor by reason of her acknowledged skill in the medical profession. And she would live another decade after her husband passed away and eventually pass away at the age of 74. Her story was told in the Biographical Review of Calhoun County while she was still alive in 1904. And it was said in that article that she had practiced at that point longer than any physician in the central area of Michigan. So she left quite a legacy. And so the core of her background was recorded in this biography that I've been referring to. And I did a deep dive into trying to find some of her other records and find out where she was buried and when she exactly died and when she was born. And I was never able to identify a death date for her. Uh, And being the name Clark, Mary Clark, It's a very common name, so I had to sift through a tremendous amount of records. But I was not able to track down any genealogical records on her other than a reference to her son uh, in later years. And I did find her parents over in Eaton County, and I found their grave sites. So I was able to piece together some fragments of her story, but where she ended up getting buried... After she passed away, I was not able to determine. Uh, She may have been buried over in Detroit or on the eastern side of the state. But like I said, there are a lot of Mary Clarks. At one time, I thought I had found her grave, but it, it didn't match up to the other dates and descriptions of her. So I assumed it was just another Mary Clark. Um, But in a recent show that we put on this year in March, we held a program called Phenomenal Women or Phenomenal Woman at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum. And I made a point to have one of the women that were being profiled in this event to be Mary Clark. Uh, Even though we didn't have a photo of her, we didn't even know when she was born or when she died, we knew that her legacy was quite substantial. And at some later date, I'll probably pick up her story again and do another hard dive into research. But one of the things that I run across when I'm doing back researching on people 
it becomes very difficult when they have a common last name to try to find a written story on somebody by the name of Mary Clark. It's quite a challenge. I was able to find some information about her husband. As Erastus Clark is kind of a different name, and I did find some records to him in the hotel business. Um, the other problem is like trying to find out information about Dr. Brown over in Albion. Brown is also another very common name, so it becomes quite a challenge to put this type of story together. Uh, but perhaps at some future date, I will dig into this again and maybe even include it in a future book of mine or something like that, uh, because I think she was a remarkable woman, and um, the best knowledge that I understand is that she died somewhere in the early 1900s, like before 1915, and she lived and operated her practice for 50 years, we know that, in Battle Creek, so that would have been corresponding with somewhere between 1870 all the way up to the time of her death, and that was quite a lot of traveling that she did during that time. And of course, she began her practice over in Albion and did spend some time in Kalamazoo and, as mentioned before, spent some time in Iowa. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history. I just wanted to share this story with you because she was a very interesting woman, being the first medical doctor in Battle Creek, Michigan, and probably the most well-known female physician in southwest or central Michigan based on this biographical account of her. And as always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to leave a rating or a review on whatever app that you are listening on. And if you have some time, please go on over to michaeldelaware.com and uh, check out my website. You can send me a message on there if you want to reach out to me. You can also check out my calendar on there for my upcoming book tour in 2024 that is starting to come together nicely and I've got a lot of positive response from a lot of different librarians and bookstores and historical societies and other venues that are going to have me around during that time period to promote the book talk about true crime from southwest Michigan's past so it should be a lot of fun and I hope that I get a chance to meet all of you out there at one of those events at some point. And I also wanted to remind you that on December 16th, I will be taking part in Tales of Christmas Past, which is in a program that I have put together for two years now. I began it last year, and it was a tremendous success. And it includes my friends Dave Eddy, Bobby Mathis, Brian and Jill McCombs, Donna Rickman, and we're all coming together to put on a performance about Christmas and tell you some stories from 100 years ago and make it an entertaining evening for everyone involved. And it's going to be even more special this year because we're going to have a, this great audiovisual room at the History Education Center at the Battle Creek Regional History Museum to really showcase this event and really put you in the holiday spirit. So hopefully... You guys will get a ticket to that. I'll put the link in the show note descriptions. Tickets are $10. There are two performances on December 16th. There's one at 2 p.m. and one at 6 p.m. And that should fit most anybody's schedule if you have time that day. And last year we sold out both programs, so I highly encourage you to go on over and purchase your tickets uh, as early as possible because after Thanksgiving weekend we'll be out there heavily promoting to try to sell the rest of them. And I really would encourage you to uh, get your tickets early because I'd love to see you there. 
and see you after the show. There's going to be an intermission this year as well, so there'll be a lot of chance to interact with the cast at, during intermission and after the show. So until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating tales of Southwest Michigan's past, thank you for listening.